The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of its hosts, guests, or callers, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of WTBR-FM, its management, other producers, or sponsors. Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units, stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television, and now available on all of your popular podcast platforms. Today is Friday, June 24th, 2022. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this allegedly weekly radio program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by G Money, IT specialist Gary Munn, working the board. Good morning, sir. Gary, where's the rest of the crew? Uh, They're in a meeting. Ah, okay. (laughs) All right, so Captain Traversa and Lieutenant Hill abandon us today. Officer Derby's on vacation. We have a very special guest joining in studio this morning, but before I introduce our guest, I'm going to get a check of the weather, talk about a couple news items, and uh, we'll move on to the rest of the show. Here is your WTBR forecast from BerkshireWeather.com for Thursday, June 21st. Greetings. Today... Mostly cloudy, a high of 72 with drizzle. Tonight, cloudy, a low of 55 with rain. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high of 68 with drizzle. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecast and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing summer. Cheers, everyone! Thank you, Jacob. For our viewers and listeners, I just want to remind you that uh, after we met Jacob during um, the annual meeting last year, we reached out for him, and Jacob is the official meteorologist of the Pittsfield Police Department for our emergency management planning. So uh, we always enjoy having his forecast. I always enjoy opening his email forecast in my email in the morning, and uh, we're fortunate to have him available in case we need weather-related information for operations planning. In a couple news items i think i'm going to start off with the one that is probably the most germane currently to the police department and all city departments um yesterday mayor tire and council president marchetti had a small press event where they shared the intent to honor the process of the um the municipal budget process and hearings and accept the recommendations put forth during the budget process by members of the city council despite the charter objection that froze the process two weeks ago so um tuesday night via normal city council meeting and hopefully all of that will be resolved and um, you know july 1st will go into the new fiscal year with a slightly modified budget based on the discussions and requests that um were made during the, the budget process so um we're moving forward on that which is good news. Um, I'm not even going to get into any details on that. Uh, also related to the department, uh, opening statements were held in a, a trial, the trial of J.C. Chadwell. It's um, local local trial, homicide um, homicide charges, and so that trial started this week, and um, you know he's being tried for the 2017 murder of Paul Henry um, you know PPD case we worked that case it actually had um, a fairly significant uh, internal impact um, a member of the deceased family was being recruited uh, as a Pittsfield police officer at the time and obviously you know traumatic withdrew from the process so um, you know tragedy all around but the ripple effects of violent crime in the community can't be planned or anticipated uh, not specifically related to Pittsfield and not specifically related to law enforcement, but um, weird, weird day nationally. Uh, the Supreme Court overturned a New York City 
law regarding the concealed carry of firearms, uh, or New York law regarding concealed carry of firearms, which is going to have major implications on states which have similar restrictive licensing laws, including Massachusetts. So we don't know how that's going to pan out. Um, our, our licensing laws are less restrictive than the ones that were in place in New York, but the language of the decision yesterday raises a lot of questions. Immediately after the Supreme Court let loosening gun restrictions, the Senate passed a massive um, gun bill, uh, which is now going to the House, placing additional restrictions and requirements in place. So within one news cycle, both of those things happened. Um, strange, strange times. So both of those will have impacts on law enforcement. You know, how, how we interact with lawful gun owners and how we target illegal gun owners are both going to be changed by these uh, precedent and bill. So stand by and we'll find out what actually happens with that. And I think that's all I really want to talk about in the, you know, you know what, I'm not, I'm, I've got one more. So it always strikes me as odd what, you know, what we do that we, you know, we interact with the court and uh, get, it gets picked up and it gets reported or sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know, you know, I'm not even sure we transported this person. So it may not have been placed on the docket, but I think it's important. We got a intelligence bulletin eight, 10 days ago out of the state of New York um, with a be on the lookout for a person who had been identified as a person of interest in a homicide in the Bronx. And that individual was located and arrested by the anti-street crimes unit this week uh and so we were working with new york nypd and bronx um bronx major crimes and so you know it, it and that's an unreportable arrest right it's just like yeah we found we found a guy who might be a murderer we got him we worked with new york okay just another day at the office <laughs> so um it, it's always odd how we can do these fairly significant operations and only the people who work the operations really know anything about it all right enough of the news i'm very excited today i i'm excited and sad so our guest in studio this morning is officer steve hunt good morning steve good morning chief how are you it, it i'm i'm okay but I, I've got to tell you, I've got mixed feelings about this. This is one of those conversations that, I'm, okay, we're, we're going to discuss the end of an era, right? So, Steve, how long have you been a Pittsfield police officer? Uh, Chief, I started in September of 84, and uh, it's been almost 38 years. All right, so just to give our viewers and listeners some context... Steve became a Pittsfield police officer the same fall. Steve, do Gary a favor and move your move your mic out of the way. Or just slide to the side a little bit. There you go. All right. Steve became a police officer the same fall I started high school. All right. So high school, all, all of my extended time in college, a year plus, almost two years as a civilian working for the city, and my entire career since Steve's been a Pittsfield police officer and a highly productive and highly performing police officer. I mean, we have a hard time sometimes keeping rookies motivated and, and ambitious for five years. And you've been at it for almost 38 years. Yeah. Sure. And I don't ever recall a period of time when you just called it in. Not ever. And you've had a pretty wild diversity of assignments you've done some stuff yes and for a portion of your career you had the opportunity to work alongside your brother who yes. also was a Pittsfield police officer for a while good times yeah and uh, your brother Jim was my first partner when I was assigned to the West Side Neighborhood Resource Center he and I were together in the West Side before I went to the Academy um, all right so Generally, the way we do this is when we have a guest on, before we get into the, the work-related stuff, uh, we'd like to learn a little bit about our, our guests, like, you know, who they are. So I know, I know a lot about you uh, and your family, but for our viewers and listeners, you know, 
tell them you know, where you're from, where you grew up, what got you to the department, what was your path? Well, I was born in Pittsfield uh, many years ago at Hillcrest Hospital, which doesn't even deliver babies anymore. And um, I lived here most of my life, a little bit of time in Kentucky. And then the family relocated back to Pittsfield. Um, I graduated high school in 76, Pittsfield High. I went on to BCC, played baseball for two years. And then I went into the uh, United States Air Force in 79. I got to pause you for a second. When you went to Berkshire Community College, they, they had a legitimate like college baseball team? Well, they did. They had a, a national soccer team. It was they had basketball? They had all the, wow. all the big sports. Wow, that's I didn't I I knew BCC had club sports through the um, through the field house, but I didn't know there was a time when they had organized like college it sure sports. Did. That's amazing. Cool. All right, sorry. So then you joined the Air Force. I, I went to the Air Force in '79. Uh, it was four great years. Traveled all around the world. What'd you do in the Air Force? I was uh, I was in supply and I flew with the uh, every time the 82nd Airborne went somewhere I took a couple million dollars of aircraft parts set up a supply depot and uh, we went to Alaska we went to Europe uh, it was it was amazing and we just you, issued the broken you know the good parts you were the logistics train for the 82nd Airborne division pretty much that's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah it was fun cool um, then in '83 I got out. Um, I got out. I had orders to Inserlik, Turkey, and I just decided I didn't really want to go there. So when I got out, I tried all the big people. You know, GE was just starting downhill. Um, the electric company wasn't hiring. The phone company, Berkshire Life. So um, my brother Jimmy said, why don't you take the, uh, the police test? I said, okay, I'll do that. Was Jimmy on the job yet? He was not. Um, we took the test in October of 83, I believe it was. And then uh, they actually came to the house to get him, and Mom said no, because he was in college. <laughs> so, so then. Uh, what do you mean they came to the house to get him? He beat me by one point. And no, and specifically, like back in the day, like they would send a cop to your house and well, say, "We're taking you." It was actually uh, retired Lieutenant O'Brien. She she came to the house to do an interview. Okay. And um, Mom said no, you can't have Jimmy. So I, it was probably the next day or a day after she showed up at the house to interview me. And uh, that went well, and I started in September 84. No, I just want to pause here for a second. So for our viewers and listeners, for our viewers at home, you'll notice that while uh, Stevie was talking, I just put my hat back on. The glare off of my forehead in that last <laughs> shot was amazing. So I apologize uh, for the quick little uniform change. Um, so, uh, Sorry. My family knows I work. They just don't care. <laughs> um, so you started, I have to, I'm discombobulated right now. So what I started to say is, this was 84? 80, yes, yeah. 84. And for, retired Lieutenant O'Brien did your background. And 11 years later, she did my background. <laughs> and then something like, 13 years after that, when I took over command of the department, she was still doing backgrounds. And she she did backgrounds for generations. Like, there's a huge swath of membership in our department that Kate O'Brien processed our backgrounds. Okay, so they bring you on in the fall, and this was back in the day when you didn't have to go right to the academy, right? No, I, I didn't go to the academy till the spring. Um, this was back when they gave you a 38 and some handcuffs and said, go what you're going to do they put you in a cruiser and did they brown book you i did i took the brown book okay and went to springfield and took that yeah so for those of you who have not been around massachusetts law enforcement for any long length of time like now before we can put you in the field with arrest powers and badge and a gun you have to complete the academy but back in the day there was this process called brown booking where you'd study from a brown book and then go take a test and you could work for what up to a year i think it, so i think you could work for up to a year before you went to the academy just on the basis of passing this test and steve's being a little facetious but quite literally you reported to work they gave you a badge they gave you a gun like a pair of handcuffs and like go go do police stuff mm -hmm. in hindsight it's frightening <laughs> yeah the world was a little different then. yeah um, but we brown booked a lot of officers in, in the 
80s. There was a, that was a time of a lot of transition, uh, which if you're extrapolating, if you're a viewer or listener, you're extrapolating, that means we're now in a time of a lot of transition. A lot of officers who started during that period have left or are leaving, and uh, we got to replace them at a very rapid rate. All right, so what'd you do for that first six months that you were out there policing without training? <laughs> I was on days. I went and got the coffee, the Danish, the newspapers. <laughs> I went on a few calls um, so long ago. That that seemed like what I did then. Um, so kind of what we do with our pre-academy cadets now, right? You, you're around, you're observing, you're kind of taking it all in, maybe you know, going out with some more experienced officers and seeing some stuff. But right. Barracks duties, somebody's got to do that stuff, right? So, what'd you think about that time? Um, I, 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 I've loved this job from the minute I came on. And um, I, it just came to mind. I walked the beat. They put you up on post? Yeah, I was yeah. post four for a long time. And when I went to four to 12, I walked again. Because back in the day, you, that's how you got your, that's how you earned your way in. You walked. It was walking beats on every shift. Did they still have call boxes? When you oh, I just missed that. You just missed the call boxes? Yeah. Right. So this is, I always um, remember talking to Captain O'Neill because I vaguely, vaguely, vaguely remember as a child seeing call boxes still installed on the streets. Um, but I, I don't think they were in use. They just hadn't been moved out yet. But fire alarm boxes were still in common use when I was growing up. There was fire alarm boxes in every neighborhood, and 911 didn't exist. So if you needed the fire department, you pulled a fire alarm box in the neighborhood. <clears throat> um, and all of those alarm boxes and call boxes were wired back to our basement, the, the alarm room, the uh, alarms, and some of that circuitry is still there. Uh, so fascinating stuff. But you know, back in the day, before radios, officers on the beat, they, that's how they communicated with station through the call boxes, right? You'd be walking your beat, your call box on your beat would start ringing. You had a call box key, you unlocked it, pick up a phone, talk to dispatch to tell you what to do. If you were on the beat and you needed something, you unlocked it, you hit this lever, it rang back at the station. They picked up a phone, you called for the ambulance or the um, prisoner wagon. It's different day and age. <clears throat> pre nine one one pre radio, but. That was pre-Steve, so yep, you didn't have to do I that. I missed out on that. So you walked a post, and I'm assuming that meant you had the old Motorola brick radios. I uh, weighed about 10 pounds. And they were still in service when I got on the job. We were not real good about updating our communications back in the day. So when did you go to the academy? Went to the academy in March of 85. Where did you go to the academy? Um, it was... An old reform school that they made into a police academy in uh, Agawam, Feeding Hills. Feeding Hills. Yeah. Yep. Good. I, that was a good time. I enjoyed the academy. Seriously? Oh, I did. Well, I was running 34 miles a week when I went down there. Nice. As a matter of fact, the night before I went, I went for a run at 2 in the morning and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and I ran into, uh, he was a lieutenant boyer at the time, and he thought I was crazy after that. Of but course. Of course. Can't sleep, you go for a run. Uh Dave or Walt? Uh, Walt. Walt. Okay. Yes. Mike. Um, was Spellacy your oh, drill instructor? He was. Legendary. He was. One day <clears throat> One day we went for, I bet you it was a nine-mile run. And I used to run 12 miles on Saturday back then. And uh, I had a good time. So back, back before... Um, the episode and the incidents that led to the tragic death of Pittsfield officer Timothy Shepard. Feeding Hills Hagawam Academy was run by uh, the troopers. And uh, Steve's DI, Trooper Spellacy, is a legend, a legend within police training. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't at the academy when I, was, when I went to the academy. He had been reassigned and he was on the gang task force, which was located upstairs in the academy and so we had no reason to have any interaction with this guy we just we just knew his legend and we were terrified of him <laughs> and we missed the uh, training day for snow and had to make it up on a saturday and so we were dispersed throughout the building <clears throat> doing cpr repetitions in our pt gear 
and the door in the like the second or third floor hallway where we were up there on a station opens and he came through the door and we lost it he had no authority over us he had no control over us but his his reputation was so epic and so legendary we were just we popped to and and he's just he ain't got a damn right he was shaved head wearing his motorcycle boots working outlaw motorcycle gangs he had no time for us we were scared to death all right so how long was the academy when you went to the academy i'm thinking it was somewhere between 18 and 24 weeks and you just reminded me of when trooper spellacy would look at you <laughs> it was a scary thing yeah that is scary scary dude um so and obviously just just like you know when we went to Aguam, driving back and forth every day you know and i don't i don't think most people understand like People hear the police academy, and you know, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you'd see the movie Police Academy and you know, Residential Academy, you're living there. And they think that everybody's police academy experience is, is that. And like in Massachusetts, for the troopers, it is that. And for some people who will go to the state police academy for the state police municipal academy, it is that. But that's the exception. Most municipal officers who are trained in the Commonwealth are trained at one of the municipal police training committees, satellite academies, and their commuter academies. You, you go to work for your duty day, and then you go home and, and you do your life. Um, and I'm not sure which one's easier. I, I do know that both as a academy student and then later as a staff instructor, the daily transition is just an added source of stress. It's just more stress. Having to go back to normal life at the end of the workday and then tune yourself up to go back into student officer cadet mode the following morning. It it's a it's a cycle of hypervigilance that just takes a toll. The academy is hard. I don't care how good you are, how smart you are, the academy is hard. Yeah. Um and it's not all like, you know, we all like to talk about our academy experiences. I went to the range, I went to the emergency vehicle operations course, patrol procedures and building searches. That's like five weeks out of 20 weeks. It's all academic. The vast majority of it is book work and tests. Book work and tests. Um, and some of the stuff is, is, is challenging. So tell us a little bit about your academy experience. Uh, I just remember how I woke up on day three and I, I rolled out of bed because I couldn't move my arms. And Lots I, of push-ups. <laughs> uh, I said to myself, I'm going to count the push-ups today. And including the front-leaning rest, which they like to call it, where yes. they would leave you in the push-up position. That's a plank for everybody in modern days. And I went in on Wednesday, and they brought in a trooper, Kazaka. He was a great, big, bald trooper. And every time I looked to my left or right, he was right there. They brought him in just to haunt me that day. And I think I counted 360 push-ups that day. <laughs> um, it, full disclosure... The academy staff is not allowed to do that to student officers anymore. <laughs> that, that's ancient history now. Yeah, that was the fourth MPOC. Yeah, wow. It, and I remember a lot, you know, a lot of classwork and uh, a lot of physical stuff. They they came up with training devices, and what those were were milk jugs filled with water, <laughs> and they used to let us run the track with those, those. which are heavy. It's what eight pounds, right? A gallon of water weighs eight pounds, something like that. It was heavy, and then. Sometimes they would have us run with those over our heads. And you, you just felt like a weeble. You just couldn't fall down. <laughs> That's what <laughs> uh, And I remember uh, when I graduated, uh, I actually missed the academy. It was... Uh, what did you miss about the academy? I, I don't know. I guess I liked the physical part of it. They picked on me a lot in a humorous way. I shaved my head about week five. And after that, Trooper Spellacy loved me. I got my <laughs> summer haircut. You got your summer haircut. Who'd you go to the academy with from Pittsville? I went with Ray Bush. Really? Yeah, down and back every day. I'd pick him up. Hey, so we had a conversation with Captain Kirchner yesterday. This is a complete aside. <laughs> Captain Kirchner was out at the airport. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. Captain Kirchner was out at the airport. Um, the The training team from the House of Correction, Berkshire County Sheriff's Office, is out there. They're running a 
motorcycle police motorcycle operators course and some of our staff is assisting them and captain kirchner sees one of the house of correction guys on the motorcycle and he's like he looks familiar and i'm asking the staff who is that it's, it's ray bush's son oh, riding the motor for the sheriff's office and for our viewers and listeners ray is kind of like the granddaddy of our motor program he uh he and former retired sergeant murphy um put the, developed that program and put it together and so um gary munn has left the building and so that was like a little nostalgic full circle thing for us so mr munn has stepped off of the board lieutenant hill has joined us and stepped onto the board good morning <laughs> the dog is over here looking for treats that's all right. <laughs> that's right that's right officer winston is in studio with us this morning he's doing what he normally does napping um so what so you get out of the academy you come back this is in the day before field training right so when you got out of the academy what was life like for you um well i went back to walk in the beat still post four still downtown still post four and <clears throat> I, I i loved it there was a lot of businesses downtown a lot of people downtown so you're interacting with people every day and I really liked it. I'm a people person. So, what shift were you on? I was on days then. Okay. And uh, then I went to four to twelve and continued to walk. And there was another walking person with me, and we enjoyed that. And at least I did. Who was your partner? Then I had uh, Mac Petrowski. Okay. Um, he was Officer Bowler then. He's now Sheriff Bowler. Um, and Officer Kubica. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was a long time ago. None of them are with the department anymore. No. Because, again, you've been with us since God was a dirt farmer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how many years did you walk the beat? It had to be two or three. Yeah. It's kind of a blur, but. And then what? And then uh, I went to Midnight's and uh, was was in a cruiser on a beat. And uh, For some reason, I, my whole career, I kept winding up on Midnight. <laughs> I don't know why. You know you get to pick, right? Yes, that was my selection. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is the late 80s now, right? 80, 87, 88. Still 38 revolvers. Right. Yeah. Still Motorola brick radios. And I just, you know, <clears throat> for for our viewers and listeners, I just want you to understand, because this, this was the situation when Steve was working in the field. It was still the situation when Lieutenant Hill and I joined the department. And for our young officers, they don't understand this. Right? For for officer safety, and for um, clarity of communications and and proper communications, every operational member of our department now is issued a personal radio that's personally coded to them. When they key up their mic, we know who is talking, and to some extent, um, you know, generally where they are. They that didn't happen. <laughs> That didn't happen back then. We would come into work and draw a radio, exchange the battery for a bank of batteries, work your shift, and then when you came in, hand that radio to another cop who would just go change the battery. Right. And they probably did weigh close to 10 pounds. They were heavy. No lapel mics, no earpieces, right? Just, right. just this brick of a radio limited range places in the city where they didn't work you know for our young officers they have no idea how disconnected and dangerous it could be to work on those antiquated radios in in some of our neighborhoods right? um if you were at a nota lake you weren't making a radio transmission no, you weren't. <clears throat> so you go to midnights you're not walking the beat anymore, probably by this point. No, we used to walk <clears throat> in the morning for two hours, but and that was on a rotational thing. Right. And then, so now you're pushing a car. Yes. And what was your first beat? Um, <coughs> I think I was uh, 105 or 106, one of the downtown. So downtown. Yeah, uh, I rode. I rode along with Gary Belknap for really quite, quite a bit on the west side. Okay. And those, you know, Gary, those were some amusing nights. Um, 
So you worked with Gary for a lot of your career yeah, then. Probably right? 32 or 33 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so Sergeant Belknap is recently retired. Uh, spent his basically his entire career on Midnight's. Um, all right, so how long were you on Midnight's for? That time? It, it was a few years. Uh, and then I think I went to 4 to 12. And that was about when we started community policing. In in earnest, right? Because you right. were on 4 to 12 when I came to work for the department right. as a civilian. That's right. You were there. Yeah. And I, and I remember I was excited about it because I like people. Mm -hmm. And being in the neighborhoods and, you know, actually getting feedback from people was, that was and, very helpful. And were you working Morningside at that time? Um, I, I was over Morningside some. I was on the west side most that I remember. Because when I got to the resource center, Jimmy and Tommy Harrington were assigned to me. We, we did, you know, Columbus and John Street and that stuff. But I also had responsibility for doing things like National Night Out and some of the community um, crime prevention stuff, crime watch stuff. And so we had the, we didn't have the Morningside substation yet. I, I did that when I got assigned to community policing full time. But we had the Allendale substation. I remember that. And I, that's where I... That's where I first started to interact with you on a right. regular basis. I was out there. <clears throat> and that, that we always had, that area was always divided into two beats, four and seven, but we rarely, we rarely filled them both. So you had that sector, and I would meet you out right. at the Morningside substation. That um, so that would have been 93 and 94, 95. Um, and then you worked evenings for a while. I did. I think you were still on evenings when I went to the academy. But at some point, you decided to come off the road. Yes. I, um, when they started the D.A.R.E. program, I remember that when that started. And when, my, when I started my career, kids would hide from us when we came in the house. Yeah. And then I remember how it switched to, they would ask us if we knew Officer Riello or Officer Bertelli. Really? And um, I, I like kids, uh, and I went slid over into the dare program okay so we're going to pause there for a second because we've been going for half an hour and we're going to take a, a break for station identification another check of the weather and some psas then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about your time in the dare program and specifically your time in the schools nice weather. here is your wtbr forecast from berkshireweather.com for thursday june 21st Greetings. Today, mostly cloudy. A high of 72 with drizzle. Tonight, cloudy. A low of 55 with rain. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy. A high of 68 with drizzle. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecast and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing summer. Cheers, everyone. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts. Retractable awnings, retractable screens, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at sandrini.com. And from KB Accounting. Having a hard time filling that bookkeeping position? Are you just looking for more transparency from your bookkeeper? Maybe you're so busy you find yourself falling behind on your billing and payments. KB Accounting can help with all that. Online at kbaccountingpittsfield.com or call 464-0245. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC provides access to higher education to everyone in Berkshire County and beyond. Offering more than 50 high-quality programs, small class sizes, and an affordable education to help their students of all ages achieve their dreams. At BCC, their middle name is Community. And from County Ambulance. Providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at CountyAMB.com. Hello, my name is Sergeant Mark Madalena with the Pittsfield Police Department. As you know, decisions we make every day can affect us for the rest of our lives. What you may not realize is that you are 23% more likely to be involved in a collision while you are texting and driving. That means texting and driving makes you 23 times more likely to cause a crash. Every day in the United States, nine people are killed and more than a thousand are injured as a result of a crash caused by a distracted driver. Remember, put down the phone and arrive alive. Don't text and drive. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Better weather is around the corner. Expect an increase in the number of pedestrians on walkways, cyclists sharing our roads, and kids playing outside. 
It is imperative we all pay better attention while driving, walking, running, and cycling. So we need to do our part in keeping everyone safe by adhering to the rules of the road. Wear bright clothing if you are walking or running. If you are driving, please slow down and don't drive while distracted. Pay attention. Let's keep each other safe. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television and available on all of your popular podcast platforms. If you're just joining us, my name is Mike Wynn. I'm one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Mass. I've got Lieutenant Matt Hill working the board this morning as our sound engineer. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning. And our guest is Officer Steve Hunt who has been regaling us with tales of his career as a Pittsfield police officer, which is rapidly coming to a close. Uh, and this is definitely going to be the end of an era. So before we broke for station identification, you were telling us about the decision to start to work in the D.A.R.E. program. And so former Chief Anthony Riello was the city's first D.A.R.E. officer, uh, and that was a full-time assignment. And then he promoted, and he was replaced by... Officer Kim Bertelli, uh, who will play into this story arc a little bit later, uh, and she was a full-time D.A.R.E. officer. But at some point, the decision was made to broaden the pool of, of qualified and trained D.A.R.E. instructors uh, so that Kim didn't have to do all of, all of that in all of our schools alone. Because at that time, we had D.A.R.E. in all of the public schools and in the parochial schools and so I, mean, I think at one time there was like nine nine locate 11 locations that had to be covered um so they asked for people who would do dare as kind of a collateral assignment so was that your first foray into it it was um i think if i'm not mistaken we had about nine part-timers and they assigned each one to a school i think lieutenant hill was was involved with that morningside and capeless there you go. And uh, I remember I really wanted to work in the schools, but I didn't want Kim's job because <laughs> I don't know how she ever did that. Um, but I, my first school was Crosby, and I also had uh, Conti, uh, Allendale, and, and I was loving it. It was K through 5, which was a great curriculum. Um, kids were so eager when we'd come in. And then I had the opportunity, um, well, we used to do D.A.R.E. camp. And when Kim was running the D.A.R.E. camp, there was there was probably eight teams, big teams, and, and it was an eight-day camp. And um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but then I had the opportunity to go to Herberg. As a school as resource. SRO. Yeah. So when the Pittsfield Police Department and the Pittsfield Public School District created our first SRO program, I think, and I'm, I'm going from memory here, I think it was 1989, because I know that it was before the 1990s, but it was after I graduated from Taconic, so that was 88, and I now know that we had some, some police involvement in the district prior to that, but it wasn't in the role of an SRO, and so I believe it was 1989, we assigned our first full-time school resource officer to Taconic, uh, and that w would have been Mark Bushy, I think. I think so. We got the grant, we got the first, we got the first federal community policing grant, we bought the Mustang, and, and we didn't, I wasn't a cop, <laughs> uh, and we assigned Mark to Taconic. And then, at some point, he, he covered Taconic and PHS, but he was headquartered out of Taconic. And at some point, Shortly after that, it might have been right around the time I was coming on with the Resource Center, we added a second high school SRO and put the SRO at Pittsfield. I don't remember. It wasn't Russ. It, was, it might have been Danny. I think it might have been Danny. It Tresseri. might have been Danny Tresseri. And so that was the first expansion of the SRO program. And then within a couple of years, the decision was made to put officers in, in all the secondary schools. So we're gonna cover the high schools and the middle schools. And that's the way we ran the program for a long time, uh, up until some very recent staffing issues. And so the department had to select officers to go into the middle schools. And you went to Herberg. 
I did. And how long were you in the school? It seems to me I was an SRO at Herbert for about six years. Yeah. I think I taught Dare for a total of about ten. And and so the the SRO program in the middle school, the, the SRO programs in all the schools are essentially the same, right? You're, you're the officer assigned to that beat, right? And it's the school and the campus and the to and from, right? I think that's one of the things that sometimes gets lost in the conversation about the SROs is from the moment those students depart their house to the moment they arrive back at their house, whether they're walkers or they're, or they're driven by their parents or they're busers, they're kind of in the SRO's world. And if they're the victim of a crime, it goes to the SRO. If there's a car crash, you know, the SRO is going to be involved in that. Um, and so the SRO kind of has this door-to-door ownership of the school population. And if a crime occurs in the school, it's going to go through the SRO. If a crime occurs at the school, you know, like you know, on the school campus, even if it's after hours, eventually it's going to go back to the SRO. And so it's kind of a, um, it's a unique way of policing because it's geographic rather than time specific which is how most of us work right we work things on our shift sros work things on and around their campus um and when you were at herberg officer kalinowski now counselor kalinowski was at reed right and russ oh and russ that's right russ was started at reed before he went to the high school and um i just i remember thinking that the SROs in the middle schools had a distinctly different way of doing business because you guys were involved in a lot of stuff outside of school hours. Um, I remember the basketball tournament, uh, which, you know, patrol was asked and sometimes to support, but you just, you were looking, always looking for creative ways to interact with your students and build relationships. Right. Um, Six years in a school, I've said this, publicly many times over the course of my career i've had the opportunity in in my time with the department to do a lot of things and not everything right i never was full-time assigned to traffic i never was full-time assigned to investigations but i i've dabbled in those the only job i outright refused to do was sro i had no interest in it i couldn't imagine taking on that amount of responsibility i just it, it 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 boggled my mind when Tony approached me about absolutely not. I'm not doing that. So I have a lot of respect for school resource officers because it takes a very unique personality to do it and succeed. And six years is, is a long time. Um, we've had SROs who served much longer, but uh, again, it, it's it's not what your average officer is recruited and signs up for. Right. So tell us a little bit about your time there. That was actually... And I can say this without question, my, my favorite six years of my career. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I was coaching indoor soccer at the boys' club, the YMCA soccer. I was coaching Little League. I was coaching girls softball. Um, so I got to know, I felt like I knew every kid, and I really did. And um, Which actually, after that six years, when I went back to patrol, midnights again, um, I would go to a shooting or a stabbing or a serious incident and the kids would, you know, motion me around the corner of the building and they would tell me stuff. Right. Because they realized we were people, you know, before we were officers. Right. And, and uh, yeah, that was that was a great six years. And, and that's something we've spoken about on the program before because both Captain Traversa and Lieutenant Hill also spent time in the schools. Uh, the amount of intelligence that we are able to to develop in the furtherance of investigations based on the relationships that our SROs have with their students and families is is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. The first time I, as a police officer, rolled in on a scene that we were trying to control the chaos and had somebody on the other side of the tape say, do you know Officer Bertelli? Was a game changer. Right, and you say, yeah, of course I know Officer Bertelli. I've worked with Officer Bertelli. You know, we did some stuff when I was at the resource center, and all of a sudden, reluctant residents were providing information based on the relationships the school resource officers had built. Um, so that's that's something I've always been incredibly grateful for 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 our SROs, and to this day. So 
Right, so six years at Herberg. Yeah. That I know was, of, um, Sergeant Reagan was was one of the students at Herberg when I was there, and um, I got to know his family. And and he and he says every day he's here, you know, because he he uh, sort of looked up to me, I guess. We have several younger, not young, young. I mean, Sean just promoted a sergeant, so he's he's no rookie. Uh, but we have several of our younger officers who, during their onboarding or their pre-employment interviews or their chief's interviews, specifically talk about their relationship with their SRO uh, as being instrumental in their decision to join the department. It's awesome. Right. It's, uh, it's also a valuable recruiting tool. So highlights of your six years at Herberg? Um, probably what I really was amazed by was the more challenging students, I guess we could say that, um, I, I got to know better. And I had a great relationship with them to this day. Um, you didn't really get to know the, the really good kids. You just saw them in passing. And um, I used to spend every lunch period down in the lunchroom getting to know the kids. And it was a tremendous experience. Actually, a couple of my kids were there when I was there. Really? Stevie and Ian, yeah. and that was kind of nice. Yeah. So we were talking on the break about me recalling some of the stuff from early in your career because we intersected through my role in, in community policing. And as you were talking, I'm, trying to, I'm racking my brain. So now my, now my brain is foggy. But um, <laughs> I'm fairly certain, not 100% certain, I'm fairly certain when I, was a, when I came back, when I was a shift supervisor and shift commander on day shift, you were still the SRO because I have vague memories of working cases that came start, started in the community and spilled over into the school age population and going to the school and walking through, you know, having you introduce me to principals and teachers and furthering our investigations by using the resources that you had in the building. Um, I, I think you're the only SRO I worked with in that school um, before you know before moving into command um so six years in the school and uh i i, I don't know how i mean i've known you for a long time now man, and i knew about the baseball and softball i had no idea that you coach soccer oh yeah they're always looking for coaches yeah yeah so that's another interesting thing um it, we i haven't done this in a couple of years i actually was cleaning off a file on my credenza last week I said, ah, maybe i should do this again because um a lot of our, you know, we, I, I'll get this all the time in community meetings. You don't have a police athletic league. And I was like, listen, first of all, you can't just create a police athletic league. That's, that's a business, right? That's a trademarked company. You got you to gotta do that. I said, and I could explore doing it. But if I did, all of our youth services organi organizations would lose a significant portion of their coaching staff. Um, you know, it's not, and it's not just athletics, right? It's things like scouting and church groups. Our members are very active volunteers in the community we we employ a lot of coaches a lot of coaches um and we support that because like steve just said it adds value right it's another layer of the relationship um that we can leverage when when we need to interact with the community um you raise some athletes <laughs> yeah quite a few <laughs> you've, you've raised some athletes yeah. um all right, so but at some point it you know it was time to leave the school and go back into the field, and so uh, and you know it, there before the grace of God go all of us right. Some sometimes life impacts work and whatever. So you went back and you went back to midnights again. I, I did, I did. You know what? Most of us try to get off of midnights. <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, I remember it because when I went in. To say I had to go back to midnights, I had tears in my eyes because it was hard to give that up. Yeah, but back to midnights. <laughs> it, so I'm going to ask why. Like I got off of midnights as fast as I could. Yeah. Well, it's it works with the family. Okay. You know, with the four kids, and you can do anything. You can go to a wedding, sleep <coughs> in the evening. You know, it it just worked with the family, um, and and I like working with the kids. Like right now, you mean I'm, the young officers? The young officers who yeah. are not children. <laughs> no, some of them could be my grandkids, but uh, I'm on midnights now. Yeah, and, and I absolutely love it. Uh, 
nobody would know that because you're in and out of the station at all hours of the day doing something. That's true. I um, and when new people come on, I, I pride myself in like taking them under my wing. Mm -hmm. It can be an intimidating place, and uh, I've got a lot of really good friends. It's going to be hard. Well, it's not like you can leave entirely, right? So, so let's. So you went back to midnights. Um, you went back to midnights, and you decided you were going to pick up a couple collateral duties. Uh, spent some time with the anti-street crimes unit, running around doing some plainclothes stuff, uh, which probably accounted for you spending more time in the bureau. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, we were talking about it on the break. Uh, Stepped up to be one of the department's uh, Department of Criminal Justice Information Systems reps hand, handle our, our our audits and inspections for our terminals. Going through one of those right now, right? Um, which is another function that people don't ever think about, right? We have to be in compliance with all these federal and, and Commonwealth regulations about our justice information access systems. And Steve is one of a few couple officers who handles that. Um, That's it, time intensive helping us make sure that everybody's properly documented and printed and you know all, all that stuff is done what other collateral duties um yeah the siegis thing i'm actually going from here to there to finish up this month's um validations yeah. and there's actually an audit coming siegis will be coming either late june or or july okay. um yeah, I, I enjoy that. Why? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of paperwork. It is. On top um, of the paperwork you already have to do. Well, after Sieges audits us, then the, at the end of the year, the FBI yeah. audits Sieges. So right. yeah. I guess I like the attention to detail. You know, as I'm doing my monthly audits, I find things that need to be fixed or changed. And well, somebody who was in the logistics chain, supply chain for the 82nd, probably needs to enjoy attention to detail that's a good analogy because yeah. i used to love that too yeah yeah <laughs> all right so um at some point after you went back to, yeah you left the schools and you went back to midnights you know you decided that your involvement and your commitment to the pittsfield police department wasn't quite enough just professionally mm -hmm. and um your life took a little little change for the better uh, you're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we have been delicately dancing around the issue for the last 52 minutes about the fact that Officer Hunt is also married to Detective Bertelli Hunt. And I'm going to tell you, the day I showed up at Walmart for Cop on Top and that became readily apparent was not a happy day for the chief of police. <laughs> we we had a very brief but poignant conversation that was the last time I ever wanted to see the two of you together in my office. And it was. Mm -hmm. It was. Yep. It has not been an issue. I, I've been very, very pleasantly pleased at, at the quality of your relationship. And it's been good for you. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> And it's been good for your family. Yeah, you're not kidding. So, um, yeah, Officer Hunt and Detective Bertelli Hunt uh, are a superstar team of law enforcement professionals. I think both of whom got better as cops when you found each other. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was November of 2011. Yeah, it's been 11 great years. Yeah. So it was it was new at Cop on Top, right? Because that would have been the first or second week of December. <laughs> right. Yep. That's true. Um, yeah, that was a funny morning. I'm, I'm walking from my cruiser up to the front of Walmart, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. I don't remember who I asked. I was like, something I need to know. They're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that happened. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's been awesome. So we got a few minutes left. Final thoughts about your 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 time with us, your career arc. Well, we're down to thirteen days, and uh, it's going to be hard. Yeah, yeah it's going to be hard I, for uh, us. You, you, I can literally say as the chief of police, you're an irreplaceable asset. Thank you. Um, we we've 
talked about it on the break, but we didn't really cover it. In your last few years with the department, you decided to close another chapter that you had started before you became a cop. You're also a recent college grad. Yeah, I got, I, in 2019, I graduated with a 43-year, two-year degree. I am going to tell you that you are one of my wife's proudest success stories. Like, she is so happy to have that billboard with you representing both her institution and our institution. She thinks that that is just a, a great great success story for the city of Pittsfield and Berkshire Community College. I'm glad about that. Yeah, we're glad about that. Billboard just keeps staying there. <laughs> I said irreplaceable asset. Yeah. So yeah. with the few minutes that we have left, what's next? Um, well, I got a couple things lined up. I'm going to work some details, traffic details, which strangely I love to do. <laughs> I have more fun out there than anybody. And I'm also going to uh, drive some limo for Bianco. Really? Which nice. is something I've always wanted to do. I think that's going to be a, a great time. Now, when you started planning for your retirement, it will actually, when you, when you finally decided to finally retire, because you've kicked this down the road a little bit, um, we, we as an institution, we as an organization, the command, we reasonably believed that, you know, the Pittsfield Police Department was going to be without a hunt for the first <laughs> time since 84. Right. And somehow you and Kim worked a little influence. So that will not be the case. Right. Because you are one of our longest serving employees departing, but your daughter is one of our newest employees. Yeah, she loves and, it. And so the legacy will continue from the Hunt family of service to the city of Pittsfield. And while she is not sworn and operational, she has quickly jumped in with both feet to become an important asset within the administrative side, handling records, um, which is exploding. The, the demand for records is exploding every day. And uh, she got up to speed pretty quick. So, And I asked her in the, her interview, and I know that Kim kind of was like, they posted it again. They posted it again. <laughs> so there had to be a little push there. I don't think she wanted to be in dad's shadow. But you were going. So right. it was good timing. So road jobs and limo. That's the plan. I don't know how you're going to have that much time. You got little people in your life still. Yeah, the grandkids, they're, uh, they're a joy. We just won the Adams uh, Dalton Hinsdale championship last night. Nice. In a walk off 7 6, come from behind game. Awesome. So that was so exciting. How many grandkids now? Two. A <laughs> nine year old grandson, um, Ian the second, and uh, she'll be four in August, Paisley. Paisley Porter. And, and yeah, we can't get enough of them. And you and Kim dote on them. Yes. That's, that's true. Kim is an amazing mother and grandmother. To, to those kids. That's awesome. So, on behalf of the Pittsfield Police Department and the citizens of the Pittsfield Police the, of the city of Pittsfield, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for an amazing career. Thank you for all of the years you have dedicated to protecting and serving our people. That's my pleasure. You can't tear up and get all emotional now. We still got 13 days to make, right. to make you all emotional. Yeah, so I'm going to enjoy every one of them. I know you are. All right, so we generally wrap this up um, on, a, on a little more casual note. Plans for the weekend? I'm off. You're off? Yeah, I think we got Little League, um, date night, of date course. Date night? And uh, not staying up all night on midnight. A family a date night, a family tradition that I'm, I'm proud to have had a little bit of influence in helping you and Kim implement. Lieutenant, plans for the weekend? Haven't thought that far out yet. <laughs> I, I, trust me, I get that. For the last five weeks, I have had a family commitment that has kept me completely away from the dojo. Have not set foot on a mat to train for five straight Saturdays. So I'm really looking forward to getting back into the dojo. And hopefully the schedule will work. Um, if, 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 if the schedule works and I can stay fit and healthy... Teach a, help teach a youth class, attend a jiu-jitsu class, attend a Muay Thai class, attend an open mat. I'm aiming for five hours of training on Saturday if things work wow. out. 
I hope they work out. So, you have been listening to On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Available on all your popular podcast platforms. Tune in next week for another new episode when I don't know who our guest is. It, it might be Lieutenant. Um, I'm not even going to say I don't know. Until then, be safe, be healthy, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.